You know, as is so often the case, uh, technology is nothing but unreliable and, and uh, something that we shouldn't depend upon. And so we shouldn't be surprised when things go wrong. But one of the things that we see go wrong so much in our lives is, is all the stuff we can't control. All the things that we can't control, we see an increasing bend, an increasing shift towards secularism. We see laws and things passed that make it more difficult to be strict adherents of Christianity. We see things that, that change in government that make it more, more difficult to be a Christian. It's more difficult to be a Christian in your school. It's more difficult to be a Christian in your workplace. And increasingly, it's more difficult to be a Christian in the marketplace. And so we struggle with this, and we, and we ask God, God, how can we be true to you and not end up in jail? I mean, because that's really what we like to do. We want to be true to you, but at the same time, if, if jail could just stay over there, and I could just get close to it, but not actually end up in it, that would be a good thing for me. But you know, as we look at this text today, and in James 5, 1, 5 through 8, there's an appeal, or a direct appeal, that, that we are instructed to ask for wisdom. But it's not specifically directed towards wisdom in those types of situations. We see in 1, 5 through 8 that James is continuing the discussion that he began last week. You'll remember that as we opened up James last week, he gave a brief word of introduction. He said, James, a servant of God and our Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes that are in the diaspora, greetings. And then James must not have read a whole lot of ways to you know, give flowery introductions. Hey, look, I've heard you guys are doing well. Let me say nice things to you. Let me offer some easy teaching. Because he jumps right in and says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials of many kinds. And so he hits them right off the bat that, hey, look, I realize that things are rough for you, and this is the mindset that you need to carry into these things. He says, consider it all joy. He goes on, he says, because you know that through the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's producing in you endurance, the ability to, to, to keep up. And he says, let steadfastness finish its perfect work so, you, so that you may be perfect, lacking nothing. And check it out. Five picks up and he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and let's read five through eight. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He has this really negative thing to say about him. He says in verse 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So when this passage opens up, it, we understand that it's a continuation of being able to recognize the various things we go through in life as joyous. We need something that we can't provide, and that is wisdom. And so the question becomes, well, what is, what is wisdom? What is all this wisdom talk? Is it, is it knowledge? Is it just understanding? See, I don't think so, 
Because if you, if you think about wisdom, and you say, okay, wisdom is knowledge. Let's think about our society. Let's think about us and where we live. I mean, we know more about how life comes to be. You see, we weren't satisfied just to, to drill down and be able to recognize life at the cellular level. But we broke that apart. We said, there's got to be something else, a building block for life. And so we broke it out, and we can see DNA. We can tell what, you, what, what hair color is going to look like. We can tell what diseases you're going to be more prone to get. We can tell what, what things inside you, you're going to be more prone toward alcoholism. You're going to be more prone towards drug abuse. You're going to be more prone towards depression. We can see all of these things. We understand life to a, you know, to a very precise science. But in all the knowledge and all the things that we've gained in understanding about life, we failed to hold it in high regard. We passed Holocaust levels in abortion years ago, and we failed to understand the value of life. See, we've gained in knowledge that would floor people from 100 and 200 years ago. But we have a less of a regard for life. Wisdom's not knowledge. Through advances, it, it, that NASA and others have made in the Hubble Space Telescope, man, we can see into the far reaches of space. We can see far past Pluto, which is no longer considered a planet, and we can see the vast wonders that lie in our sky. We can see all of these things. We can put a man on the moon. We can send a, a rover to Mars to take soil samples to see if Mars may be hospitable. Man, I'm not signing up for that trip. I've got no desire to live in Mars. I don't even like to fly that much. But for all that knowledge, for all these things, we fail to recognize God as the orchestrator, the divine engineer of all. Wisdom's not found in knowledge. The Bible gives us a picture of wisdom in Psalm 111 and verse 10. And the Psalms this writes and says that fear, the fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. You see, wisdom is primarily having a right understanding of who I am and a righteous understanding of who God is. That as we stand, or better yet, bow before a holy and righteous God, that we can't understand wisdom until we learn who God is. Ralph Martin gave a definition of wisdom this way. He says that wisdom is practical righteousness in everyday living. It's practical righteousness in everyday living. It's engaging in holy behavior in a secular environment. So, man, we need wisdom when it comes to how to raise our children, especially when we have two- and three-year-olds that are really testing our patients, the various trials of many kinds. We need wisdom when we have a boss that's, that's unyielding. We need wisdom, perhaps we're married to a non-Christian. And we need wisdom in so many ways. We need an understanding of how to live holy and righteous lives when it's parsed out in the particulars of everyday life. It's not just some lofty aspiration, but it is something that is met out in everyday living in the home, in the marketplace, and in the workplace. We see from the text that God is the source of wisdom. That, that God is the source of wisdom. 
James, he, he doesn't make it hard for us to find. He says, let him ask God. You see, there are those who think about wisdom and they say, well, this is how you get wisdom. You would go through all these various trials. You go through really just a sorry life. And so the worse things are for you, the harder things are for you. Oh, you lived on the streets? Well, I lived on the streets and I had no legs. Well, you've got legs now. You're like, yeah, but that's a different story. Well, you, you went hungry? Man, I haven't eaten in three years. You're like, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's possible. It's an interesting tale that you're spinning there. And so it's almost this one-upmanship of how much we've suffered. And we think that the more suffering a person has, the more wisdom they should have. It's not the case. We see, by and large, those that suffer more complain more. Those that suffer more become not more and more wise, but more and more bitter. More and more bitter. Wisdom isn't produced through learning how to endure or learning how to cope. But wisdom is gained when we ask God. God is the source of wisdom. I'll tell you what, this is the great, great thing that James writes about that. He says, let him ask God who gives wisdom. And he does so generously and to all and without reproach. You see, the way that the language is set up there, James realizes there, there are a variety of situations in our life that call on us to repeatedly ask God for wisdom. It seems in some way we're like a, a leaky vessel. We ask for wisdom, it comes in, and we, just, we disperse all the wisdom we've been given for that moment. And we're left thinking, oh man, where did all that wisdom go? And so the word from James is, ask for wisdom again. It's not asking for it one time and getting all the wisdom we'd ever need for, for life. But it's a steady recognition that we must go to God over and over again, repeatedly asking Him to fill us with wisdom. And what do we see God doing in that time? For each time we ask of God to give us wisdom, we see God dispensing wisdom. This word that's given in there that said God gives generously, it actually writes out and it says God is the giving one. And it's written in the present tense that gives us a picture that this is an ongoing, repeated action. That we continuously ask God for wisdom. God, give me wisdom. Or in my case, God, give my wife wisdom. Let her know how to endure the, the many sufferings of various kinds that I thrust upon her. God, give me wisdom. Help me know how to deal with this red-headed three-year-old. God, it would be great if you'd give him wisdom and let him know how to obey. But for every time we ask him wisdom, God stands ready and able to give it. But we've got to realize, guys, that we don't have all the wisdom we need. We must realize that, that we don't have this wisdom built up through a, a three-part lecture series at the community college. You know, Wisdom 101, the basics of shoe tying. Wisdom 202, how to drive a stick shift. Wisdom 303, it, for all advanced parties, how to fill out the long form for the IRS. You see, wisdom isn't something that we learn in the laboratory of life. 
Wisdom isn't something that we gain in the classroom. Wisdom is something that we get from the hand of God, and he gives generously. And lastly, he gives to all without reproach. God gives without being disappointed. When we ask of God, God doesn't look at us and say, man, I am so disappointed in you that I'm having to give this to you again. You know, it reminds me of when I was about four or five and we were having a family movie night. And we had a two-story house, and so we're up watching some movie. I don't remember what it was. Obviously, it made a great impact in my life. And I go downstairs to get a refill on popcorn because as any three- and four-year-old, there's a bottomless pit in my stomach, and I can eat popcorn uh, probably more than I can today. And so we, we go down, or I go downstairs, and I'm down there and headed for the popcorn, and I see my friend the match over here on the counter. And I've just discovered what fire is, and that matches give me fire. And, and, and I'm pretty sure that paper towels catch on fire. And I live in Norway. It's cold. It's the wintertime. And so I decide that the kitchen would be a little more comfy. Let's use the word comfy. If we had a controlled fire on the kitchen floor, who wouldn't think that, right? You guys are looking at me like, what's he? Man, <laughs> I know three and four-year-olds come up with some crazy ideas, but this guy. And so I go in there, and I, you know, I, get, I get the matches. Uh, the direct, directions are in Norwegian, but I'm pretty sure that, that everybody understands strike, and, and, and you've got it, right? And it's like step one, open box. It's like, oh, push. Oh, take one out. Oh. You know, I'm rubbing it on the smooth side. Nothing's happening. How does this work? Strike. Oh, fire. And so you're like, oh, this is, this is kind of lame. It, it's a torch. Let me make it into a cozy campfire. And so I'm grabbing some paper towel and I'm putting them on the floor and all of a sudden I, I've got what's a pretty impressive fire for a four-year-old. I should have put it in the fireplace, but the kitchen was a good place. And man, uh, the, the, the Norwegians, they, they placed smoke alarms and fire detectors in every room, probably for the four-year-old American kid that happens to be living in one of their homes. And so I hear this, this alarm indication, which tells me, good job, great fire. But somewhere in the recess of my mind, it also tells me, uh, spanking coming. Uh, solve this quick. And so, all right, I, I got this. And so I run over to, to the sink. I'm filling up a big bowl and just throw it. Fire's out. Problem solved. I'm ready to go back to the movie. Where'd the popcorn go? But man, my parents come down, and it's almost like they don't appreciate my endeavor to generate heat in the kitchen. But you see, in the midst of that situation, I realized things were getting out of hand. And I didn't have the super developed understanding that, that my dad would be disappointed in me. But what I did have was an acute awareness that punishment was coming. You see, I got myself into a situation that I, that I couldn't control. I got myself into a situation that was, that was many years beyond me. And I did my best to fix that situation. I, I took a big bowl of water and I threw it on it. You see, in life, if we don't recognize that we can't control things, we're nothing better than a four-year-old throwing water on the fires of life that have crept up. But we serve an almighty and a powerful God who's not going to look at that situation and be frustrated for us for, for causing calamity. He's not going to be angry with us for 
not being able to handle a difficult situation, but we serve a God who responds generously and without reproach. Guys, we need to recognize our deficiency of wisdom. We need to recognize who God is and who we are, and we need to ask of Him wisdom. We see James continues this discussion in verse 6, and he moves to a description of the asking. He tells us how we need to ask. He says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. He says we need to ask in faith with no doubting. We need to use and have an understanding that the faith that we have in God, the saving faith, is the location from which we ask. It's not that we're asking from, from the strict adherence to a religious way of life that we've had for the past five days. Oh, God, I haven't failed you in five days. Therefore, please hear your servant and grant me thine request for wisdom. King James sounds better when we pray, right? And God's like, let me get out the ledger. You know something, Matt's got a point. Five days, he's done a pretty good job. Let me give him that request. Wow. It's the fact that when God is giving wisdom, we base our faith, we base our request on this salvation relationship. That, that There came a time when we readily understood that I could do nothing good, that I could do nothing righteous, but a good and a holy God sent His Son to die for me, sent His Son to suffer the consequences of sin and death in my place. And that because of the nature of our new relationship founded in Jesus, that I can come to Him and make requests. We need to understand that we're not asking because of what good things we've done for God lately. That we're able to ask because of the one good thing that God sent His Son to do for us that we could never accomplish on our own. We need to ask in faith. And then he's got this kind of interesting statement. Next, he says, with no doubting. I got to tell you, I struggled with this uh, for two or three days, trying to figure out what exactly is being doubted. What exactly is James talking about as being doubted? Is he saying, you know, when you go to God and you say, God, please give me wisdom, please give me understanding, please give me this, this thing I'm praying for? It's James' instruction that we need to have such certainty and such surety that God will give it to us that, that there's, there's no doubt associated with the request. And I really struggled with that. Because maybe you're a better person than I am. Maybe you're more righteous than I am. But man, there are times when we are praying, when we are asking that it's just, it's so big and it's so impressive that somewhere in our minds begins to creep in, you're not going to get that. That's just not going to happen. And you have some level of uncertainty to how God is going to respond to your quest, to your request. You see, James isn't even going there. When James talks about the person who needs to ask in faith, and he goes next and he says, with no doubting, James is talking about doubting the very character of God. He's not talking about your request. He's talking about your view towards God. 
And we see that because he goes next and he says, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You see, it's not the thing that we've requested that we're doubting, but it is, in fact, God that we are doubting. Let's think about how this plays out, how this plays out in everyday life. So we have some need. We've got, we've got a sick child. We have an ailing elderly parent. We have some malady in our own lives. We have a need for a job, and we begin praying for it. God, I pray that you would meet this need. God, I pray that you would answer this request. And this thought occurs to you. I don't think he's going to give me that. And then you allow it to, to move past that. Maybe you've asked that, and the next thing you say is, man, I deserve that. God's just, he's just hateful if he doesn't give that to me. And so then you begin to cast aspersions on God. You begin to think things of God. You know, he's just not as, he's not as generous and kind and all this without reproach stuff as Matt said he was. And you've, you've moved all the way away from your request and now you're, you're thinking things about God. And you're doubting God's very character. God who is all love. God who is, is good. God who is the giver of all good gifts. God who is both the giver and sustainer of life. And instead, you're treating him as nothing more than an absent-minded Santa Claus. And James goes on and he says, the person who does this, the person who begins to doubt the character of God, they are tossed on the sea. Paul writes something similar to this in Ephesians where he talks about the person who just is easily blown around by different teachings and different doctrines. You see, to have wisdom is to realize that God is good and just in all that He does. To have wisdom is to have an accurate understanding of who God is and a precise picture of who we are. We need to be careful when we ask that we don't head down the slippery slope towards doubting not just that we would get what we've asked for, but we would begin to doubt who God is. And see, in James, in verses 7 and 8, gives us the last look at the person who doubts. And this is indeed a sad picture. James writes, and he says, For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from God. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James writes, and he says, That person... Man, he's a, he's a doubter. That person's unstable in all his ways. He must not receive anything that he asks for from the Lord. Now, this is a, this is a difficult thing to look at, isn't it? That the person who doubts the very character of God should never suppose that God's going to give them anything. This person perhaps has been trying to generate some outcome on their own. They're like, let me, let me ask of God, but I'm pretty sure God meets us halfway. And so let me do all that I can to generate some type of motivation on the behalf of God. And so this person's out busy spinning their wheels, 
trying to use reverse psychology on their children, trying to use that same ploy on their employer, trying to generate their requests. This person who is just tossed on the sea, this person who is driven by every wind of passion, God says, because of his doubting, he shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. But when we read this word, we begin to think, man, that's a, that's a harsh word. And I'm telling you that when we look at this, when we start to think that this is a harsh word, we have devalued our understanding of who God is. So we are called to be salt, and we are called to be light. But when we view God as nothing more than a benevolent Santa Claus, and then we've, we haven't gotten our request, and now we're bringing him down, and we're doubting who he is, we're not going to get anything from God. He's not going to answer those things from us because we have a radically misconstrued understanding of of who he is in the first place. Have you thought about your conception of who God is? Have you thought about your conception of how God responds to your requests? He responds in accordance with his nature. And he's going to give you those things that are in direct correlation with his nature. James finishes out, and he, he has this last thing to say about that person. He says he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This person is fickle. This person is in some way schizophrenic. I mean, they're, they're here on Sundays, and they're all involved, but throughout the week, they're busy trying to accomplish their own end. This person is trying to accomplish their own agenda and, and really just relying on God for the simple things like salvation. So we have to be solely bought in to this understanding of who God is. We have to be so completely solid on our understanding that God is, is righteous, that God is true, and that God is just. But this person here, this one who doubts, man, they're fickle. They're divided. They try and serve both God and the world so that they can get what they want. And then we look at the comparison that James offers us here. In 3 and 4, we see the person that's going through the difficulties of life and they're declaring them to be joyous and they're seeing that because they're seeing them as joy because they realize that it's being built up in them towards steadfastness and that steadfastness and endurance need to finish the work so that they could be complete, perfect, lacking nothing. But the person who bails out on that process the person who in the midst of those trials falls away, they've turned into the doubter. They've turned into the unstable person. And they've turned into someone who's trying to accomplish their own ends. See, the trials and difficulties of life require wisdom to be seen as joyous. Because without wisdom, without a reverential awe before God, we'd be led to believe that gaining in knowledge or gaining in endurance would lead to wisdom. God stands ready to give wisdom to all who would ask. 
The text has told us that God is generous. And God is giving over and over again for every time we ask. So the question that hangs for us today is, when is the last time you ask God for wisdom? When is the last time that you ask the generous God of the universe to give you wisdom? Guys, as we sit in here today, I want us to think over these three questions. You see, James is about putting faith into action, and it requires us to do some critical thinking about our Christianity. So think through what is the most recent situation that you could have used wisdom in. When you recognize your deficiency, how could wisdom help you in your upcoming decisions? And then once more, what is keeping you from asking God for wisdom? Why don't you pray with me?